You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. One of the other earnings news, uh, Emily, was Boeing. Mm -hmm. Um, They put out some good numbers for their quarter, but they pulled their guidance because there's a lot of questions as to what the regulators are going to ask them to do about some of their aircraft and some of their delivery capabilities and things like that. Uh, pulling guidance is, to me, a big a big deal. Right. Yet but the stock's up 3%. So it what do seems I know? like <laughs> it's working for the investors. They say, oh, we're going to pull the guidance, we're going to focus on safety, and that was enough to yep. bring the stock up 3%. All right, so let's bring in somebody who actually does this stuff for a living. George Ferguson, he's a senior aerospace defense and airlines analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. He's been following Boeing for decades. He knows what he's talking about here. Uh, George, first, uh, give us your takeaway from the quarter. And then second, I guess more importantly is, what's behind their decision to pull their guidance, do you think? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on, as usual. So uh, I thought the, the quarter's numbers looked yeah, you know, pretty much in line with what we expected, maybe a little bit better commercial airplane. Uh, some of the cash flow generation was a little bit better. A lot of it from deposits, uh, you know, that they're getting from airplanes as they move through production. So I wouldn't call that sort of, I mean, it's good cash flow, but I wouldn't call it super high quality, right? Like when you're generating a lot of cash from your core operations, uh, their their global services business uh, had some very nice margins, uh, even better than we expected. uh, And that's been a star performer. It's good to see that holding up. but yeah, I think the real story here is about uh, going forward how they how they you know nip these quality problems in the bud, and so I, I do think that uh, as I think about it more, uh, sort of pulling back guidance, I think that indicates that management is ready to do whatever it takes to get these quality problems in hand, uh, and so you know my sense is maybe they think look we we you know we may not want to be holding to an exact number of airplanes in 2024 as we dig through our manufacturing process and through the supply chain processes and make sure that we're getting a quality airplane out the door every single time. So if pulling guidance is all about that and the efforts around that and what it's gonna take uh, and focusing again on quality over just management, management metrics, I think that could be a very, very good sign. You know, the, again, the management team is crystal focused on this is what we have to do 
How different so, is that than, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, sorry. No. Well, I was going to say, how different is that than what the company has already been doing for the last few years? Were they not as focused on quality and safety beforehand? Like how much of this is a, a truly a, a turnaround and a change for Boeing? So I think the, I think the business has just materially changed. I was at an aerospace defense conference last week, uh, and uh, you know I didn't need the conference to tell me this, but I was surprised that it was persistent. And that and what I heard from people at the conference over and over again is that uh, finding employees and employee turnover is still a problem in this industry. It's still a problem. Now I, you know I think that the higher you up in the tiers, like a Boeing or an RTX or a GE, it's easier to retain employees because you provide great benefit packages, everybody wants to be there, but even they have had a lot of turnover. And so I think pre-pandemic, you could you could p potentially fall back on the thought in, in the manufacturing process of Boeing that you had very, very seasoned folks on the line that have been well-trained, seen years in and years out of the business, and we're always gonna get it done right. But I think with the amount of turnover they've had, they really need to go back and rethink, uh, you know, how they supervise the line, how they train the employees, and they have to they have to create more stability by investing in those people. And so I think this business has materially changed since the pandemic. I will also say that, that you know, Boeing has been sort of pushing this outsourcing of the business. Again, they were doing this pre-pandemic, and this is all about it's, you know they want to sort of turn it into the auto industry where you outsource the subcomponents you bring it together in renton and you put together an airplane and that's turned the supply chain into a much bigger you know portion of of what you're doing uh and and it's global as well right you're making some of these doors in malaysia th things are coming from all over the world into renton to turn into an airplane and i think that's making it more difficult to keep track of the supply chain and the quality in the supply chain and what folks are doing down at those factories. And so I think it's materially changed and that, that's the problem. So George, and that sounds like a problem to me that was probably decades in the making, i.e. you know, going more to subcontractors and, and, and you know, as part of globalization perhaps. Um, is, is there a, a sense that this is a really a long-term fix that investors should not expect anything months maybe it's going to take years here well so i mean they're not, i don't think they're going to stop production um i do think they're going to dig through the supply chain uh you know sort of hopefully methodically and, and figure out where there could be uh sources of problem but I, I think what it means is that you're just not going to see potentially the margin and the cash flow out of this business that you saw pre-pandemic for years while they spend more money and more time and invest in people and go down and make sure that everything works. Some stuff may need to be reconsolidated back at sub-tier suppliers or even at Boeing if they can't get comfortable that they're going to get the quality out of it. I think it, I think it drags, like I said, an earnings cash generation well, for George, years from now. At the same time, it, what, I, what I hear from you and from others in the airline business is there's a big demand for new aircraft out there. So how do they balance maybe slowing down the line a little bit with the fact that their customers need more and more of their product. So I think it I think it hurts. I think you'd like to be breaking to higher build rates now. Airbus will, and Airbus will get market share. But I think in the long term, if you don't if you don't fix the quality problem here, you'll lose long term share uh, and competitiveness, and that and that would be really really bad. 
what does this mean for Boeing stock price? Because like we said, it's up today, but you compare it to Airbus, it's underperforming on a year basis by 33 percentage points, Boeing versus Airbus. So is this enough to bring investors new money into uh, Boeing? Or is Airbus still going to be the outperformer here? So I I think, you know, Boeing investors are going to have to take the long view here, right? Because um, again, I, I don't see any quick fix, you know, quick leaping to much higher build rates, much better cash generation, because I think they need to invest back in their business. Airbus apparent, doesn't apparently have this problem. I think more of the supply chain is still in-house at Airbus, or at least better controlled. And so I think you're going to see that Airbus is going to perform fundamentally better here. Is there a regulatory risk here for Boeing? Is there any sense that I don't know, Washington, I'm not sure which agency would say, hey, we're going to be kind of paying a lot more attention to you guys, forcing you to slow your, your line down, anything like that? I, I definitely, right? The FAA has already said they're going to increase their oversight of Boeing and the and the suppliers. Uh, you know, look, in, in, a, in a perfect world, you wouldn't want to have these quality problems and you'd like to be filling out less paperwork. You could make your business more efficient. They're just not going to get that here. We could all understand the FAA's reputation has been hurt as well. So um, so they are going to have more regulatory oversight and that will be a drag. All right, George, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate that as always. George Ferguson, he covers the aerospace companies, uh, the defense companies, the airlines companies, that whole ecosystem. Uh, that's where George's uh, investment research focus is. And so he's our go-to person on Boeing, the other aerospace companies, and then the ultimate customers, uh, the airlines. And then, you know, what we hear from the airlines is traffic's back. We need new planes. Um, we need more planes. We need more efficient planes. Um, and that's good news for the air, you know, the Boeings of the world and the mm-hmm. Airbuses of the world. But as George was suggesting, probably top of order for Boeing is to kind of get their uh, quality issues addressed you know, as quickly as possible, because that's in the long-term health of the company. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. New York Community Bank, a surprise loss here. Um, Cut the dividend, stock's down 35%. Let's break it down with... Herman Chen. Herman Chen follows the regional banks for Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins us live here in our studio here in our New York City headquarters. Uh, Herman, what happened at New York Community Bank? New York Community. So if we go back to what happened in March and April of last year, they were the bank that bought the assets and and deposits uh, from Signature Bank. Um, So they became a much larger institution, cleared that $100 billion threshold, which is like a step up in regulations. Now, uh, it seems like they're, they're a bit cautious with the, that step up in regulations and the upcoming stress test. So they're cutting the dividend, reducing loans, trying to shore up their liquidity and capital. And then on top of everything else that I just talked about, that they posted some weaker asset quality. So there's questions of on if they're going to see more loan losses in apartment lending and office lending uh, in 2024. What do we know so far about why they're so uncertain Mm -hmm. about this uh, credit quality Mm -hmm. outlook? Yeah, so your community is largely an apartment lender in the New York City area, rent-controlled, rent-stabilized apartments. So those buildings are uh, affected by recent New York rent rules that 
uh, cap how much um, you can charge to your 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 tenants. On top of that, you have higher interest rates, so it squeezes um, the, the landlords, and there's a lot of refinancing risk ahead. So they posted a big loss there in, in the fourth quarter, and there's questions ahead. They have about 4% of their loans at office exposure, so that's a bit a touch higher than, than the median in our coverage universe. So there there are some credit quality concerns ahead, and they, they built their reserves pretty much in line with peers uh, in the fourth quarter to, to um, address that. I'm looking at the uh, Spider S&P Regional Banking ETF. KRE is the ticker. It's off 3.45% today on this news, presumably. How much is this a New York Community Bank problem versus mm. maybe a, a wider regional bank problem. Yeah, so New York Community is really the last of the larger regional banks to report their fourth quarter earnings. And pretty much across the board of their their larger peers, everybody is actually pretty um, sanguine about 2024 credit quality. So this seems more of a New York Community specific issue of needing to shore up their balance sheet and facing you know, a, a blip on their credit quality that they need to, you know, and still some more confidence in the market uh, ahead. Do you think someone's going to ask a question to Powell about this today? Or do the reporters <laughs> already have their questions planned out? No, that before? would be a good one because it's <laughs> certainly topical. Yeah, I mean, what would the Fed, how would how would you expect Jerome Powell to react to a, a question on, like, does this signal more weakness? Yeah, I, I'd assume he would say something to the effect that the banking industry is resilient and you've seen stability in deposits and and strong credit quality for the industry. You know, New York community specifically ha- had an issue with the fourth quarter. But I would say overall, the, 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 the banking sector has been really strong and resilient ever since that March and April you know, turmoil and stabilized deposits, increased their capital. Uh, the larger ones are, are shoring up uh, capital and liquidity ahead of tougher rules. So it, it makes for a much sound and safer uh, system. So where are we? Like, how would you characterize the industry in terms of getting to where it needs to be in terms of their balance sheets, their credit quality? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it was such a shock, I guess, a year ago when we had some of those regional banks uh, kind of hit. Yeah. Um, so... Ever since that March uh, and April time frame, a lot of the banks have been defensive in nature. They've pulled back on lending. They've exited some loan portfolios, exited relationships that weren't profitable. Um, Just been very conservative with how they lend and how they operate. So they've had three quarters of of conservatism that they've built up, uh, built up their reserves. So they've done a very good job of addressing some of these issues. And after, aside from what's happening today with New York community, I I think the market's been pretty uh, receptive to the actions that the bank management teams have done over the course of the past three quarters. And where are we just in terms of, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of repairing the earnings capability mm-hmm. of these banks because that's kind of what you told us yeah. all along that this was going to be more of a, a challenge from the earnings power of these regional banks as they deal with higher rates and so on and so right. forth. Right. So we're getting towards sort of the end of of the weakness in, in the top line. Um, the 
the pause in rate hikes um, last year has helped shore up the, the, the pace of deposit repricing. So the margins, the net interest margins for the banks are starting to stabilize a bit. And we're hoping that once rate cuts start uh, materializing, uh, the industry in the back half of the year expecting a resurgence in lending and improving uh, top line performance and improving earnings. But really, all of this is... You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com predicated on if if we get the rate cuts and if we get a soft landing. How are investors supposed to be thinking about the dividend cut mm-hmm. for New York Community Bank slashing the payout to shareholders mm-hmm. to five cents um, from an expected 17 uh, cents? Yes. So that's that's an interesting thing because New York Community has historically prided themselves on having a strong dividend, um, had a lot of uh, insider ownership of the bank and so the dividend was very key to to them and to their shareholders they they do skew a little bit historically to a retail investor base as well so this was a decision that the the ceo said they didn't take lightly um, and it was more of another step to build capital ahead of um, 
you know, the tougher regulations, they're pointing to a CET1 ratio of 10% versus the current 9.2%. So earnings uh, generation and the slashing of the dividend could help them get there by the end of next year. So I'm looking again at that uh, Spider S&P uh, Regional Bank ETF, up 32, 33% from, the, I guess, the recent lows, I guess, back in o- October. Mm-hmm. Is that, but that, they haven't retraced at all. I mean, it, uh, when you talk to investors, do they still think, hey, with a, a Fed that's likely to cut rates in 2024, there's still room to go with some of these names? Yeah, um, it, it does. There, there's... Um Stocks have rebounded about 30%, as you mentioned before. There, there's some upside if we get that loan growth in the back half of the year. So that's what um, the manager team seem to be pretty optimistic about. They talked about building you know, loan pipelines. And so that all of these uh, anecdotes seem to be positive that, that lending, which is pretty much flat over the past couple of quarters, can really start picking up again once... Uh, interest rates get lower. So that's the upside. Um, the downside is, do we get um, a, a downturn in credit quality? And do rates sort of, you know, stay higher for longer? So that that's that's where we are today with the push-pull of, of the bull and bear And what, what, what are the banks, what are the management teams, what have they been saying about their expectation for credit quality over the next 12 to 18 months? Are they taking higher reserves or have they already done that? They are taking reserves, but it's been pretty measured. So loan losses um, have pretty, they continue to normalize. So they've been pretty low ever since uh, the pandemic period with all the stimulus that was sloshing around the economy. And now they're they're pretty much back to pre-pandemic levels, which were still low by historical standards. Um, So they've been taking this time to build up their reserves a little bit more due to some of the issues that uh, have are facing the industry like you know, concerns about office commercial real estate and leveraged lending and apartment lending. So those are sort of like the hot button places. But we haven't but- seen, have, or I guess let me ask it this way: Have we seen a regional bank cut their, I guess, office? You know, write down their office portfolio. Have you seen that yet? We've seen reserves increase. So okay. there, there's a pretty big, there's a wide range in the reserve level. So on, the most conservative are banks like. You know, U.S. Bank Corp and citizens that have a 10% reserve. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's some that have only like a 4% reserve. So there, there's a lot of questions of you know, how, how this, this all will shake out over the yeah, next I few just, years. I, I don't know. I think this commercial real estate, particularly the office thing, when we start seeing trades happen, mm-hmm. like the, uh, just a random office building in Midtown, 3rd Avenue trade, I don't know what the, the haircut. Street, it's still vacant. It's still vacant. It's I know. Vacant. I mean, I don't know what these haircuts going to be. And again, Barry Sternlich, who knows from real estate yesterday, he's saying he thinks that haircuts going to be huge, like 50 percent. I, you know, I don't know. I we'll have to see. Now, I wonder how the banks react to that. Herman Chan, thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Herman Chan. He covers the regional banks for Bloomberg Intelligence. So uh, he's been extraordinarily helpful to us. Uh, on as we kind of deal with some of these regional banks and some of the challenges that they are facing. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. The markets are certainly pricing in a dovish 2024 in terms of rates. Let's check in with somebody who actually gets paid to do this stuff. Glenn Smith, Chief Investment Officer, GDS Wealth Management, Flower Mound, Texas. Glenn Smith, thanks for joining us here. Where's Flower Mound, Texas? 
Absolutely. We're about 10, 10 miles north of Dallas. Nice. See, just say greater Dallas. I mean, you know, flower are actually, is nice. Are there flowers on the mound? <laughs> you know, there actually is a flower mound. Uh, oh, it's perfect. very small. I think it's about seven acres, but there is definitely a flower mound. Awesome. Check it out next time. All right, Glenn, what are we doing here with this Fed? Um, we're going to hear from them later this afternoon. The market certainly says, hey, 2024 is going to be a year of rate cuts. How are you guys kind of pricing that in? Absolutely. We think that the Fed is going to talk about how resilient and strong the economy is. Uh, consumers are doing really good. We have inflation dropping, not quite at their target of 2%, but we're at 29 We have unemployment numbers uh, very, very low. And I think they can be a little bit patient here. I don't think they want to uh, lower rates uh, before they actually need to. Um, in the 70s, obviously, we had Arthur Burns do that. And, and uh, then what happened is inflation uh, was persistent. And I think they want to do this right the first time. And because of that, we think rate cuts won't start until June of this year. And, and we will have three rate cuts um, every other Fed meeting in 2024. Glenn, how are you thinking about the market reaction to the Fed today? Because like John was saying a little bit earlier, we already have the two-year down 11 basis points today. So what do we need to move yields even lower? And if Powell isn't ultra dovish, does that mean that we actually see uh, yields reverse higher today? No, I, I, I don't think so. I think um, the, the economy is very strong, and that's what's giving them a little bit of a mulligan here. Uh, for rates not to go up, we think that um, that he's got they, they have a little bit of, of, of margin for error because the economy's economy is so strong right now. Uh, I, I don't I don't anticipate rates changing uh, ch changing until until later in the year when inflation when inflation comes down a bit. So, all right, so Glenn, what, what do we do here? I mean, uh, Emily Griffith, she's long those magnificent seven stocks. She's been laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, other folks like Matt Winkler and me, we were not so smart, so we weren't long those stocks. What do we do here in 2024 if we've missed some of those big tech names? I think the Magnificent Seven, if you if you own them and you're not overweight in them, you want to maintain them, but I don't think this is a great entry point. I think there's other sectors out there, whether it's financials, uh, whether it's, it's uh, energy stocks, um, specifically in financials, we really like JP Morgan right now. If rates do stay elevated, uh, we have net interest margins that will be phenomenal for them and continue to give them earnings. And if rates are cut uh, in June, like we anticipate, the mortgage activity should pick up. Um, JP Morgan had a bit of a, of a downer in terms of investment, investment banking the last couple of years, and we think that's going to turn around from in 2024. What about- in, On the energy- Go ahead, sorry. I was going to ask about multi-asset portfolios because you're chief investment officer. So how are you balancing stocks and bonds and 60-40 this year? If it's not all big tech, how are you thinking about the whole portfolio construction for 2024? Sure. In terms of duration, what we've been doing for 20, uh, just starting around 2022, we shortened the duration in, in uh, shorter term treasuries and bonds um, and corporate and excuse me, treasuries and corporates. Just lately, in the last 60 days, we've been increasing the duration and anticipation of interest rates dropping from different ETFs that are money mark like uh, bonds into, into longer term durations. In terms of the overall portfolio, um, we think it's important to, to look at uh, different sectors other than just, just the Magnificent Seven. 
um, you di you want to be diversified in in, uh, in different parts of the the economy. Well, you're down there in Dallas, Fort Worth. You have to have a call on energy. What's your call on energy here? Absolutely, we love Diamondback Energy. Um, Diamondback Energy is a Permian Basin uh, uh, developer. They have over 476,000 acres, 8,000 drilling locations. Um, what makes them unique is that their price of um, profitability per barrel is only $50 a barrel, unlike many of its competitors. Uh, we, we think the valuations are much more attractive than than a even an ExxonMobil. The cash flow has been amazing. They have uh, uh, lower operating expenses than its peers. They've consistently paid a dividend, and, and we think that will continue for for foreseeable future. All right, well you, I'm just looking at the map here. You guys are right next to the Texas Motor Speedway, which I helped finance back in the day. That is a monster <laughs> speedway. You laugh, but we made, we just raised a ton of equity, a ton of debt. We built Texas Motor Speedway, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. What deal were you not involved? In? We were we were active back in the day. Um, now, can you can you Water ski on Grape View Lake. You, uh, Grapevine Lake, absolutely. Not only Grapevine Lake, but uh, Louisville Lake. Those are two nice, um, massive lakes. I'm originally from Northern California, so this was different. There are different uh. lakes in California, <laughs> but you absolutely can. Grapevine Lake, yeah, that looks cool. All right, very good. Appreciate it. Uh, just getting a sense here what's happening on these markets. Glenn Smith, Chief Investment Officer, GDS Wealth Management, Flower Mound, Texas. It's just north of Fort Worth. Fort Worth is one of my favorite towns. Like, I'll stay in Fort Worth as opposed to Dallas and drive to meetings in Dallas. Never and heard anyone what say does that. it have that Dallas does It's not? a real cowboy town. Like, Dallas is, is chic, you know. You're in Fort Worth. You, you feel like you're in Texas. Cowboys and stuff like that. I love Fort Worth. It's a great town. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. When I went to L.A., when I was on the side side, Emily, as a sell-side equity analyst, my salesman would say, you have to come to L.A. at least twice, preferably three times a year. And when you go there, you see Capital Group and you see TCW. If you mm -hmm. don't get those two meetings, don't even go because those are the lockdown meetings you get. Now, when I went to TCW and in these fancy offices in downtown L.A., which I can still see here on the Zoom call with Mr. Purdy, uh, I avoided the fixed income floor desperately and just went right to the equity floor because they're much more fun there. Steve Purdy joins us. He's co-head of Global Credit at TCW. Uh, fixed income, you guys do math. Uh, I don't like math, Steve, so that's why I stayed with your colleagues on the equity floor. Uh, I got to get the house call here for TCW. What are you guys doing in the fixed income market this year? There are actually some positive returns in 2023 for you guys. Yeah, there are. And thanks. First of all, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And glad that you've been to our offices. And we'll welcome you guys in January anytime. Yes. Um, uh, you know, for, let, let's start. The big picture for us is we think that inflation has peaked, which means that the rate cycle has peaked. And you got to give the Fed a lot of credit for what they've done. Now, the question is from here, how quickly will they be reducing rates and by how much quantum? And we think today is a bit of a non-event. Um, but we do think overall the economy is slowing, and that's the real story. We think the Fed's got to get ahead of it, but we're seeing a lot of breadcrumbs in what we're hearing from companies that the slowing economy might be getting a little bit away from the Fed, and they need to be very aware of that. So we've been asking everyone uh, today, what do you think Powell is going to actually talk about in his presser? Is there anything that he could say that could move the markets uh, today? 
Yeah, I think I think everyone agrees and we're with consensus that nothing is actually going to happen from a rate move perspective. But it's really going to be about his outlook and how hawkish that feels. And we think they'll probably remove some of the language, some of the language to give themselves runway to begin the rate uh, decline. Um, but we don't think today is a big day. What's interesting is to watch is how quickly the economy is slowing. And the, the results from this quarter thus far have been overall pretty positive. Um, but we do think we're seeing some signs of deceleration, and we hope that he speaks to that in his Q&A today. Hey, Steve, you guys are talking about a, a slowing economy out there. Um, I'd love to get that kind of surprises. I guess given that background, I was kind of surprised in 2023 to see high yield was the best performing fixed income uh, sector out there. How do you guys think about high yield versus investment grade in 2024? Yeah, it was it was a barn burner of a year uh, um, in high yield last year. And I think, um, one, people were probably expecting the economy to slow uh, uh, in a more dramatic fashion than it actually did. That's one. The second thing is the triple C cohort. And there's a couple of uh, sectors in there, really cruise lines being the most dramatic, yep. which came into the year at very low prices. And as we had this kind of remediation and the peaking of rates, people stepping back into the asset class, really drove outperformance there. Um, you know, we're now sitting at about, you know, 320 uh, basis points over the Treasury. That's within the top quartile of tightness over the last 10 years. So our perspective is that credit spreads on the high yield side and even more dramatically on the IG side are going to have to widen throughout the course of the year. So we think you're supposed to be a little bit underweight high yield and wait for a better time to enter that asset class. What You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. <laughs> Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. <laughs> making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. What about the fact that we might see a lot of debt maturing in 2024 and 2025 and 26, I talked to a number of fund managers who say this is really a cause for concern. These companies that locked in low rates now all of a sudden have uh, to adjust yep. to a much higher um, level of interest, and that's going to cause some kind of economic uh, trouble that's going to then trickle down to the rest of the economy. How are you thinking about uh, debt refinancing specifically for these IG uh, corporates? Well, I'll, I, I, I'll pivot back to what you guys were talking about, home ownership. I'm sorry that you don't own a home because those <laughs> who do have 30-year mortgages have locked in a very low rate for a very long period of time. And that is the luxurious position that investment-grade companies find themselves in. The average tenor is kind of 10 years plus, And so they've got a lot of time to wait and adjust to this new rate environment. High-yield companies, on average, have about three years until they have to kind of climb that maturity wall that you are mentioning. And it is a challenge for certain of them. Uh, In the leveraged loan market, they have to reprice their balance sheet every month or three months. And we're seeing a lot more distress there as managers simply weren't prepared to pay an additional 200 or 300 basis points just to operate their business. And let's remember that when your cost of capital goes up, that doesn't impact your business at all. That's not marketing. That's not a new property that you're spending for. That's not new employees. It's just the same business that costs you more to run every day. And that's going to be a challenge. Um, We think people are taking advantage of this new issue boom in January while the markets are open to rush in and try to kick out those maturities. But it's really a a show-me story by each individual credit over the next few years as they try to digest how to pay more money and how they're going to manage their their businesses given that additional burden. Hey, Steve, how do you feel about credit quality out there? If your house call is for a recession, I'm guessing you're asking your analysts to kind of you know, kind of sharpen their pencils and take a look at the ratios and so on and so forth. How do you feel about credit quality out there? You know, the, the management teams thus far have done a really excellent job. Um, during the pandemic, um, we saw balance sheets actually get into a much better place. Uh, personal balance sheets, as an aside, people paid down credit cards. They weren't going out as much. Corporates didn't go on big M&A booms. Instead, they tried to say it's a cautious environment. I want to bring down my leverage because we don't know what the world's going to look like. So it all feels pretty good. So when you think of near-term defaults or a spike in default rates, we don't see that happening in the near term. But what we do see is credit spreads right now are kind of pricing perfection. And we don't think that's a reasonable case given what we're seeing. And so the other thing we're, we're hearing from management teams, as our analysts, as you said, are kind of uh, uh, put plugging into their models every day is the numbers are fine, but the outlook feels a little bit more concerning. And now we're starting to see job losses roll through. I mean, every day we come into our Bloomberg screens and see a blinking red number across the top. Yesterday was UPS with 12,000 employees. That is a good signal that companies are not as bullish about the future as what they are now. And we think that's problematic. So, you know, you guys just about a year ago, you guys being the folks in California, were kind of at ground zero in some of these regional bank 
uh, challenges here. And we just got another reminder today with New York Community Bank. How, how do you guys think about the banking sector, the financials here today? Yeah, um, it's a, a kind of a, an old story that, that's come back to light this morning. Uh, first of all, so, so are there lingering effects of the regional bank crisis? Um, first, let's talk about the good news. The Fed reacted quickly. And what they did with Signature Bank and SVB, really, they deserve to be commended for that because it put a floor quickly under deposit flight, which was critical. Now, um, it also showed us, by the way, that the large banks, the globally systemic banks, are the safest place you could possibly be. And we continue to believe that as an investment thesis. Shifting back to the regional banks, the real crux of the matter here is commercial real estate. Um, and it's very difficult as an outside investor to get really granular views, asset by asset, on what type of commercial real estate um, they, portfolios they have. And I think when Community Bank bought the Signature Bank portfolio, they had to get their arms around that exposure. We've learned today there might be more problems in that commercial real estate and particularly the office sector portfolio than they had envisioned when they purchased those assets. So we think this is not a, a brand new story. It's simply this delayed rolling impact of the commercial real estate issue flowing through the regional banks. Yeah, we had uh, Barry Sternlich, uh, chairman and CEO of Starwood Capital on Bloomberg Television yesterday. He was talking about, you know, he thinks the the nut might be, you know, a trillion dollars of uh, risk, their value at risk in the commercial real estate, particularly the office space. And so uh, that is a big issue. And if that's the case, then that's going to have some pain for a lot of folks. Steve, thanks so much for joining us here. Really appreciate getting uh, your time. Steve Purdy is co-head of Global Credit at TCW. Some real smart folks out there at TCW, both on the equity uh, and fixed income side. And again, kind of the base case for TCW on the fixed income folks, the credit guys, uh, they think a recession's coming. So uh, they're kind of positioning their portfolio uh, accordingly, kind of underweight high yield a little bit more on the investment grade and focusing on the balance sheet. So that is certainly a take there. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Fed day today. This afternoon, we'll have full coverage of that. People aren't expecting a whole lot here, but maybe a little body language about maybe when they'll think about cutting rates. Um, let's check in with uh, a pro here, Christina Hooper. She's a chief global markets strategist uh, at a little firm called Invesco. Christina, I guess the you know consensus is don't look for really anything today, but is it too much to ask for maybe a little body language on what the Fed's thinking about future rate cuts? What are you looking for? Well, we might get a little more than body language. I think uh, Chair Powell tends to be fairly candid in the Q&A session, uh, even if he doesn't necessarily want to be, it, it tends to come out. <laughs> However, uh, I do believe there is a, a, a very distinct goal of the Fed right now, which is to keep a lid on easing financial conditions. And so uh, I think he will try to err on the side of hawkishness, but I do think we'll get some glimmers of hope during the Q&A. What do you make of some of the more recent data that we've seen? Um, you look at employment cost index increasing at a slower pace than expected ADP. These were both today coming in a little bit lower than expected. How is Powell going to be thinking about these signs that the labor market is softening? 
I think they will matter to the Fed uh, because it tells the Fed this mosaic of data we've seen is that we are still very much on the D train. And by the D train, I mean the disinflation train. Um, in particular, the employment cost index is a very, I think, has historically been a rather accurate gauge. Uh, and it's one the Fed relies on to get a sense of total compensation. So that's important. And we know that the Fed does react to the data. I go back to June of 2022 when they had messaged before the meeting that they would only hike 50 basis points, but then they hiked 75 basis points. And Chair Powell pointed to two data points. CPI and Michigan consumer inflation expectations as pushing them to do 75 instead. So clearly data matters. And uh, these data points continue to tell that same story. You know, one of the many reasons we like speaking to Christina Hooper is that she, like me, is a fan of Cracker Barrel. How about that? <laughs> you know, you got to be right up there in front. Uh, I saw that in one of your notes here, Christina. So, Christina, given that backdrop, Given that backdrop of the Fed's going to be cutting rates, we're not sure when, but we, we got a pretty good conviction that they're going to be cutting rates this year. What's your kind of, how are you allocating capital these days? What are you telling your portfolio managers? What are you hearing from your, your PMs? How are you guys trying to position yourselves? Well, first, Paul, I should say that I don't think it matters whether the Fed starts cutting in March or at the April 30th, May 1st meeting. I do think we're going to see more cuts than the Fed uh, has suggested there will be in its December dot plot. So that's sort of the, the background. Uh, what I would anticipate is that we do see an economic slowdown, uh, what I'll call a bumpier landing in the first half of the year. Uh, you can't have the kind of aggressive tightening we've had without some economic damage, but not a recession. And I think it's going to be really brief and that we'll have a, a reacceleration sometime in the back half of the year. Markets tend to discount um, what they anticipate to happen with the economy. So I think what we're likely going to see in coming months is a stock market that is discounting that back half recovery. So I do think we're going to see some broadening. I think we're going to see small caps performing better. We're going to see cyclicals performing better. And I do believe the US dollar will resume its weakening, which should be a positive for asset classes outside of the US. Okay, so broadening out in the equity market, what about on the fixed income side? Where are you seeing the most risk reward if we do get this uh, slowdown, but a brief uh, economic slowdown? I think investment grade credit is that sweet spot. Uh, because we are going to see something of a slowdown, we'll want quality, and I think it will benefit um, from an environment in which we're likely to see rates come down over the course of the year. I but said, there's a lot of opportunities in fixed income, I have to say. Yeah, I said that kind of the same thing, same time last year. And then investment grade just ripped last year. I mean, I'm sorry, high yield ripped last year. Um, what do you think about high yield versus investment grade? Well, high yield certainly is, uh, is attractive. Um, but I don't see it as attractive as IG right now. However, that could change. If we get a softer landing than I anticipate, and we see a stronger reacceleration in the back half of the year, that should be a real positive for high yield. What do you make of the New York Community Bank news oh, yeah. this morning? Maybe we could just get your initial reaction to like what this means for uh, credit quality and the regional banking sector from here. Well, I think we have to ask ourselves whenever we see a situation like this, 
is this contained or is this contagious? And as far as I know, based on what we've heard this far, it seems like it is very much a contained situation. Um, not that, dis I, I think, uh, far less significant than what we saw last spring. Um, but of course, we're gonna have to stay on top of this as, as the news unfolds and information unfolds. Uh, and, uh, and of course, more earnings come out for other regional banks. So, Christina, on the equity side this year, or, you know, we're just about to finish out a pretty solid January to the market after a really good 2023. What are the sectors that you guys are spending the most time on these days in terms of, you know, opportunities? Well, we continue to see opportunity in technology. Uh, I think technology as a long duration asset class is sensitive uh, to long rates. And so it should benefit from an environment in which rates are falling. I also think um, tech is uh, is more defensive. Uh, it has become a more defensive asset class in recent years. So it's going to hold up, in my opinion, relatively well, um, despite uh, some of the, the recent disappointments around earnings announcements. But where we're um, uh, focused as well is the cyclicals. Um, those are areas of real opportunity, especially if we see a nice bounce back in the back half of this year. Um, we're also seeing a significant amount of investment. Um, legislation like the CHIPS Act is having an impact in, in cyclical areas of the economy. So, so that is a real focus for us. All right, very good. As always, Christina Hooper, we always appreciate getting a few minutes of your time. Christina Hooper is the Chief Global Market Strategist at, at Invesco. This is the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live each weekday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern, on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also watch us live every weekday on YouTube and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.